You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week to give you your weekly dose of historical true crime going back in time to talk about some bad things people did to each other, sometimes on public transportation. (laughs) But before we get to that, don't forget about our Patreon. You really should be on it. It is so much fun. Patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, and you can also get the link in the show notes. $5 a month, you get four old tiny crimeys, which despite the name are full of fun. <laughs> they're, they're huge with fun and entertainment. And this week, I, it was my turn. And I told Scott and Amber a bunch of different stories from the old-timey newspapers. And there was a lot, like, a, a lot of sexism. Like, a, like a, an embarrassing... I was embarrassed for them. With a hint of racism. <laughs> yeah. So if you would like to hear our plans about how we were going to go back in time and fix things, uh, please, please be a Patreon. It, uh, spoiler, it involves bulletproof ice cream. So... It- we're also, it also involves a strap-on. Uh, we're going to get a strap-on for Christy and Amber, and we're going to go back and, and fuck all the people who really fucked things over. Because they apparently were... What, I'm very confused by this plan and the need for strap-ons because I, I hate to break it to you, but it was men and women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, no, what, why do we need a strap-on when we have umbrellas with uh, different true. colors? That's yeah, true. yeah, you can match... The cover on the umbrella, as we discovered in the old and you can totally fuck the umbrella to your outfit, and probably that too. The world's a fucked up place. We're gonna fuck it back right. (laughs) Anyhow, so (laughs) we're we're having a great time over there, and you also get our monthly extra extra episode. uh, That is a, a longer one where we all do something sort of on a theme. And we need to work out what this month's theme is. I have some very interesting ideas. It's uh, that scares me. We'll talk later. Borscht-related crimes. <laughs> Borscht-related crimes. That's it. Let's I do mean, it. <laughs> I did have the idea last time of murder ballad-related crimes. So you're not far off. Wow, I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> Borscht ballads. I mean, yeah. yeah. So and Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Borscht ballads and Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. That's right. So you should be over there uh, having some fun with us because we're having a great time. And we very much appreciate our patrons. And that's why when you become a patron, you get a shout-out at the end of the episode. And I will sing your name. I wonder if maybe that's a turn-off to some people. And maybe that's why some people aren't. <laughs> maybe I need to start saying it in, 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 in like a, a crazy accent. If you want, I'll say your name. Just, yeah, it doesn't have to be me. You can make a special request, or, and I yeah, won't be offended at all. Maybe you, you'll pay us not to say your name. I don't know. What do you want us to do? Christ, come on. <laughs> they want us to moan their names. <laughs> oh, no. Amber, oh. you have opened a door that you cannot close. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of other things I can't close either. <laughs> yes! You stud, George Kaplinsky. <laughs> That's something. So, George, that's a freebie. <laughs> we are talking this week about Franz Mueller. Oh, Franz! And this murder, no, please don't. And this murder <laughs> was a 
first. So uh, it had to do with train travel. Uh, in England in the 1800s is when it started getting set up. The first steam-powered locomotives ran on the Liverpool to Manchester Railway in 1830. At that point, there were 125 miles of rail in Britain. By 1871, there were over 13,000 miles of rail. So, for context, at its widest, the United Kingdom is only 300 miles across. And from the northern tip of Scotland to the southern coast of England is about 600 miles. So that's 13,000 miles of rail on that 300 by 600. Well, at the time, London is actually the largest city in the damn world. It's got ports. It, this was kind of up for debate on a lot of the sources. Sources vary wildly. <laughs> We're on a theme this week, mm -hmm. you couldn't tell. So it either had, it is either like in the top 10 of ports or had the most ports in the world, the Great Exhibition of 1851 had drawn six million people into London, a lot of which stayed. And the Great Exhibition was actually also a really big first, public toilets. There was a thread on Reddit in, I believe, the Ask History subreddit. I, I just found for a second, I thought you said the ass kissery subreddit. <laughs> yeah, there's probably one for that, too. Uh, that's, for, oh, that's only for upper management. Yeah, that's so. true. And it was somebody asking, if I were a woman in like 1800s England, and I was out on the town, where would I go to the bathroom if I suddenly found myself lured by the call of nature? Women don't pee. Women don't leave the house, actually, was the thing. So you, you, you really weren't, you, the house was your domain. And, you know, men would go out and about to work, but women weren't really doing that so much unless, of course, they were single, and then they had to, and so they still didn't have a place to pee. And so there weren't public restrooms for women because women weren't really expected to even be in that sphere. That The world was not theirs. And so at the Great Exhibition, they were like, this is going to draw a lot of people. They're going to be here for hours wandering through all these exhibits and everything. We should probably make sure they can pee somewhere. So it's not, it was basically a public sanitation thing so that there wasn't urine and feces everywhere. And also, Prince Albert was very oriented towards cleanliness and you know, like he was the one who he spruced up Buckingham Palace because it was basically built over top an open sewer and he was like that that strikes me as bad See, I, I feel royalty? like I feel like <laughs> yeah, right. women were the first Amazon drivers where they're just peeing in bottles because that was their only choice yeah really seriously so yeah the, the great exhibition it's really fascinating they built the Crystal Palace and everything for it, and they had exhibitions from all over the world. That was really Prince Albert's baby. I thought Prince Albert's baby was in a can. <laughs> no, it's a piercing. It's a penis piercing. <laughs> so, but yeah, this was also the period of time that train travel was really becoming a big thing in England. And it changed so much. It changed shipping, obviously, industry, but also the environment and travel. Like People could get places a lot more quickly. Uh, by stagecoach in 1830, from London to Newcastle took 30 hours. But by the end of the century, seven hours. Just seven. So that, you know, made it so not only people, but also goods could be shipped much more quickly. So they were able to increase volumes and uh, of product that they sent elsewhere and, you know, make it so that products could be actually sent to other places in a timely manner you're improving so much, but there's still a lot of, there's a lot of social difficulties with it. As with any big forward movement in society, 
the, the tracks, the loud trains, all the, the smoke and everything from the engines. This was really getting on a lot of people's nerves, but people were really getting on board. Uh, <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> it's the second time today that he has stood up and walked away, and I'm I'm, I'm going for three today. I'm gonna, and that's that's my goal. Just keep up the puns. <laughs> I'm over here now. I can't go anywhere. There's nowhere else to go. It's a small house. It's not a small house. It's a big house. Small, just as smaller than yours, Mr. <laughs> Privilege lives in a mansion. <laughs> I, I live in a mansion, yes, a 19-room mansion. It's very nice on the inside, but it's where it's located that sucks. Yeah, if you just picked it up and put it somewhere else, it would yeah. probably cost like four times as much. <laughs> easily, easily. So, yeah, in 1840, there were 20 million passengers. And in the early 1860s, 200 million. So there were still train robberies. There was some crime happening that was centered around the railways. People were concerned as to the relative safety of train travel. This was in an article that was right around the time that our uh, crime happened. It was right actually in the, the next column over, talking about some of the dangers that are inherent in, in this form of travel. Trains will occasionally run away and topple over embankments. Stupid or drunken engine drivers and pointsmen will give or mistake the wrong signal, and collisions will occur of the most lamentable and fatal description. But until lately, people traveling by railway had little else but accidents to fear. Sometimes they had their pockets picked, doubtless, or had their portmanteaus appropriated by strange hands or were swindled by card sharpers. They were even on the trains. <laughs> but these were matters which everybody was confident to guard against. But a new and more reprehensible kind of railway offenses, or crimes committed in railway carriages, has come to notice lately. We allude to the indecent assaults committed on women while traveling alone. Let's grab a titty. You know, she left the house. It was her fault. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. So, many cases of this description have been made public within the last two years. And so recently as last week, a young lady was assaulted and almost lost her life on the London and Southwestern Railway. She was traveling alone and was assaulted in the carriage by a man whom she did not know. And rather than submit to such indignities, she opened the door and stepped out while the train was running at the rate of 40 miles an hour. She was shortly afterward discovered by a passenger in the next compartment, hanging onto the handle of the carriage door, and by making a powerful effort, he was enabled to get hold of her arm and to draw her onto the step beside him when she immediately fainted. In this position, both parties remained while the train proceeded about five minutes. At length, the, the guard's attention was attracted by the country people who threw up their arms in dismay at the dangerous position of the young woman, and eventually the train was stopped. So you had this woman who was being assaulted on the train, and she's like, uh, you know what, I'd rather be on the outside of the train than deal with your shit, and clung to the train and until like a guy was like, oh shit, there's a girl out there. <laughs> Somebody should do something about that. And then he's holding onto her, and all the people like alongside the tracks are like, hey, somebody! Help them! It's kind of nuts. So yeah, that's happening. And th there's also, as far as the economy was concerned, there would be periods of railway mania where there would be big booms in the sector. All these little railroads would pop up out of nowhere and everybody would buy stock in them and then they'd fold and everybody would lose their money and the bubble would pop. And so the last one of these, it was the smallest in scale, was in the early 1860s, which was the same time that... Franz Müller, a German tailor, 24 years old, came to England from Cologne, Germany, 
1862, he found lodging with Ellen Blythe in Bow. She called him a quiet, well-behaved, inoffensive young man of a humane and affectionate disposition. Seemed like he got along well with his landlady. Dude looks like, here it comes. Here it comes. Everybody, everybody, this, is my, this is my talent. I don't know if anybody's going to catch this. Well, I, I imagine certain members of our audience. He looks like a cross between Michael Rooker and Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor. Yeah, you're right. I see a little Matt Smith in there, but um, I'm going to say Matt Smith and Willem Dafoe. A little. I can see the Willem Dafoe. There's a little it's, Dafoe in there. It's like the chin and the mouth makes me think Michael Rooker, who uh, Yondo from Guardians of the Galaxy. So I, ha- I have a description of him as a... Uh... Of medium stature, rather slim, with light hair and fair skin. To look at him, one would think he was about the last person in the world who could deliberately plan and successfully execute any very heinous crime. To, uh, to come up against this, the Freeman's Journal of Dublin was very much like, we don't like the way this guy looks. <laughs> His mouth is decidedly repulsive from its extreme width and protuberance. Damn! No! Right? Impressing one with the idea of dogged obstinacy and vindictive relentlessness. Right? They just didn't like Germans. This, <laughs> There's that, yeah. This is not like a Steven Tyler mouth either. It's, I think his mouth is fine. It's a, ma- it's a mouth. Yeah, it's just a mouth. It's an opening which with food and sometimes penises goes into. So, no, he was... You don't know that for certain. I, I, I do know he had multiple lady friends. Um, so... <laughs> it means nothing. Yeah. So, he found work as a shirt cutter at Hodgkinson's, which is a... Tailor shop on, I have Threadneedle Shop, but it must have been Threadneedle Street. And my brain just kind of did a thing there. But this was also a time, again, we have progress, we have technology. Technology is kind of disrupting the business. The Singer sewing machine had been invented in 1851. And so tailoring by hand was seeing some serious competition from that, from people who were able to just hop on this machine and either tailor their own stuff or tailor other people's stuff more quickly. So that started to become an issue. Uh, He had been saying for a while that he wanted to head to America. One article said Canada, and to try to make his fortune there. So at the time that this happened, that idea was, was nothing really new to people who knew him. Let's talk about another guy. Let's talk about Thomas Briggs. He, uh, in 1864, was nearing 70. He was the chief clerk at Robarts Curtis and Company, which was a banker firm. He was well-heeled and, quote, highly respected and esteemed by a large circle of friends. He had a wife who was in delicate health. She was considered an invalid. And at least two sons. I couldn't find any more than that. I know there were, there were at least two who were adults. So on uh, Saturday, July 9th, 1864, he had been working. And he left the bank in the afternoon, went to his niece's, where he stayed and had dinner. Around 8.30, he left. His niece's husband escorted him to the omnibus station. From there, he rode to the train station, which he he was a commuter. He would ride the train nearly every day. The railway employees, they knew him pretty well. Sometimes he dozed off on the ride and nearly missed his stop. Anybody who takes public transport frequently is like, yeah, I hear you. So he boarded a train at the North London Railway and got in a first-class carriage of the train for Hackney that was scheduled to arrive around 9.45. First class, Mr. Fancy Schmancy. Fancy Schmancy. Well, he like kind of was. He, um, it's going to come up later. I mean, this guy was dressed to the nines most of the time. 
Yeah, he was a pretty fancy dude. He, he dressed nicely. Yeah. Yes. So, but then the train arrived in Hackney, and his carriage was empty. Nobody noticed it until a man tried to enter that carriage to board it, and he found, quote, the cushions, floor, and sides of the windows be smeared with blood. In some places, there was quite a pool. He called a guard to check out the situation, and that's when they find, found out that something else happened with this blood. Some woman had her monthlies here. Well, I mean, there Who were women. Who let her out of the house? There were women involved. Some ladies who were in the adjoining compartment then called the notice of the guard to the circumstance that some blood had spurted through the carriage window onto their dresses. So, like, the, the, that's gross <laughs> and kind of horrifying. You would imagine that they would have brought that up sooner before the blood was found in the compartment, but they seem to have just been like, eh, it's London, it's 1864, I'm going to have some blood on me. Or maybe they thought they started their monthlies. <laughs> oh dear, look at that. The Eve's curse has visited upon me this day. Other things, the items that they found in the carriage were a walking stick, a leather bag, and a black beaver hat. Hats are going to be very important in this case, so that is not just an errant detail. That comes up. Now, at first, it was thought that it had been a suicide. This happened sometimes. Someone would throw themselves out the window as the train chugged along. But then they do some searching, and they find a man on the tracks. He'd been assaulted, robbed, and tossed out of the compartment. He had lain on the tracks, uh, one source said for two hours, but the timing for that didn't quite add up for me, so I'm not really sure. Because it seemed like he was, he was found pretty soon afterwards. I would say so. You'd think two hours and not a single train has used that track? Yeah, it just... In like the heyday of that form of transportation? It, yeah, it seems, it seems like that was just a, a misprint somewhere. Yeah. I have, they found him at 1020. Yeah, and the train arrived at 945, so it couldn't have been terribly long... Yeah, yeah, it was the 915 North London Railway from Fenchurch Street to Chalk Farm. Chalk Farm. Chalk Farm. He was actually still alive when he was found. His clothing was blood-soaked. His head was battered. I have a description of the injuries from the Daily News. On the left side of the head, just over the ear, which was torn away, the skull was fractured and the bone driven in. On the base of the skull, there were four or five lacerated wounds, and there were more blows on other parts of the head and the medical gentlemen expressed their surprise that the unfortunate sufferer should be alive, the wound over the left ear being alone sufficient to cause death. I want everybody to look down right now. If you have a boner, seek help. Yeah, right. I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, said to be made probably with an instrument of small size. The idea that was brought up later uh, in, the, in the coroner's inquest was that it was a life preserver. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have a really difficult Google search. But it only took a little bit. I had to put life preserver weapon, and then I found it. Uh, it's a short weighted club meant for self-defense. But the idea also came up that his walking stick could have been used as the weapon. He was taken to Mitford Castle Pub and spoke what would be his last words to the landlady there. Oh, dear, take me home. It was very sad. John Denver song. Yes. He was not thinking about country roads at the time. Doctors and police were called. Uh, they search his pockets. They start tracking down his identification to find his family. They do end up getting a positive identification from his son. His wife is kept in the dark for a little bit so as not to disrupt her health. The pub owner was actually trying to calm things down so that they wouldn't have to move him so that he could stay. But word got around about what they were calling the outrage. 
and people started crowding the the pub house. So Briggs was then taken to his own home so that he could, you know, die in quiet. We don't have enough outrages today. It's just we have too many outrages. Yeah, <laughs> we're but, outraged all the time over every little thing. Like okay, the Capitol Hill attack is is a very recent thing still. I, I think I'd be more interested if they called it the Capitol Hill outrage. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, it is a very British thing, too, because we had the Tottenham outrage. That's, that's immediately where my mind went to. Yeah. The funniest outrage. <laughs> well, it was in Tottenham, and there was a very funny chase. There were some sad moments there, too, but that was funny. So, there were a few signs of life. He did seem to recognize the voice of an older female servant and that of his son, but he was mostly insensible. Apparently, he was semi-conscious, but unable to speak or move much. Well, there's so. got to be some brain damage. Absolutely. There's, yeah. yeah. He did die the next night and thus became the first person to be murdered on a train in the UK. So they went 34 years from the first steam engine in the UK to now and then someone got murdered. That's actually a pretty good run. That's a yeah. pretty good run. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, no, that's nothing to be ashamed of. First person murdered on a new form of transportation. Probably 34 minutes today. <laughs> right. And you can see that... This is still, the railway is still a point of contention. Uh, an article on page six of the Daily News described the crime. Right next to it was a letter to the editor expressing unhappiness that a garden area in the Eastern District of London was set to be destroyed when the Metropolitan Railroad laid tracks on it. So people are still like, you know, I don't like this. And I'm sure that, God, pollution was probably far less <laughs> awful back before the trains came along, both like noise and air pollution. You know, the, to see such change over, over the years and see green spaces turn to railways, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'd be angry too. But progress is progress. At the coroner's inquest, it was announced that the government would offer a 100-pound reward for discovery of the murderer, the bank would match that, which comes out to about 25000 in U.S. dollars today. Nice. Yeah, pretty good reward. There might have been another £100 added on by the actual railway company. There were questions. People were like, okay, well, you know, his bank, his, his employer is offering money, the government's offering money. What about you, railway company? And so it, there definitely were questions. They may have felt pressured eventually to do it. They didn't seem as... <laughs> eager to do it as, as the government and the, uh, the bankers were. But we're supposed to care with our wallets. Is it enough that we feel it in our hearts? <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and Sometimes. prayers. <laughs> one like equals one prayer. <laughs> so over at Scotland Yard, Chief Inspector William Tanner was on the case. He deduced that it was a robbery since there were some valuable items Briggs had on his person when he boarded the train that were missing when he was found. There was a gold watch that was on what was called a massive chain. I really wish I could see a picture of this chain when it was always described as massive. Sounds like, sounds like they were talking about his downstairs founder there. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the chain hook was actually still attached to the buttonhole of his waistcoat and was, was broken, so it was probably ripped off. But... I have to say, if it was a robbery, it was a pretty incompetent one because he still had some other stuff on his person. There was a silver snuff box in his coat pocket. There was four pounds and ten shillings in his trouser pocket. That would amount to about $600 today in U.S. money. And there was a diamond ring on his hand. 
and gold glasses that were initially reported missing but were later found in the pocket of his waistcoat. So really all the person got was a watch and a chain, but there were several other items. So, you know, if it was done for the purposes of robbery, it, either a first timer or some, something got messed up and they, they had to, you know, just kill him and abort the mission. I mean, the dude was a walking safe. You know, yeah. he's, got, he's wearing gold, jewelry, silver. Even his clothes were worth quite, quite the amount of money. Well, there was also some early speculation about the leather bag that was found because it was the type that bankers' clerks used to remove bullion. And he would just carry that with him. It was just kind of like his traveling case. The bag was empty, but did have some bloody fingerprints on the lock. You know, that could come about if somebody tried to force it open. It could also come about if he just happened to touch it in the course of his, you know, being beaten. So, and then the beaver hat comes up. It was deduced that he had not, in fact, been wearing that. That was not his hat. He'd been wearing a top hat. So they figured the hat must be the murderer's. And he left it there by accident and snatched up, you know, maybe his hat fell off, Briggs' hat fell off, and in the dark of the train compartment, he grabbed the wrong one. I did listen to a podcast in preparation for this, and the title of the show was A Beaver and a Topper. (laughs) I was like, you clever bastard. Because <laughs> nice. I, I was sitting there going like, what podcast am I going to listen to for this? Because I, I try to listen to at least one podcast for each one. And I just want, I, I read the Wikipedia article. Uh, if Briefcase has something, I, I think Briefcase is a great resource for me. If Briefcase has something, I'll listen to that. And then I went, a beaver and a topper. It just rolls off the tongue. You. <laughs> Damn it, I wish we could use that. I know, right? It's really good. Stole that from us. That's really good, except they came up with it first, so not really. Yeah, right? So the hat label indicates that it was made in Marlbon. I I even looked up the pronunciation, but even in like the YouTube video with the pronunciation, there were arguments in the comments. I was like, this doesn't help me. In order to pronounce it correctly, you have to have three teeth removed. (laughs) So... But, uh, but otherwise, that label didn't really go anywhere immediately. So then they're like, all right, well, maybe he tried to pawn the items that he stole, the chain, the watch. So they start looking at jewelry shops. Jesus Christ. This dude, I want to say this dude was either, I hope he was a total fucking badass, but I think it would be equally as awesome if he was just the weaseliest guy in the world. Yeah, I think I think it would be much more appropriate. Uh, you'll go ahead. You want to say his name? John Death. <laughs> the jeweler, John Death. Who somehow was not a mortician or a hangman or a coroner. Well, I'm actually like, I'm looking at this going like, I wonder if this dude's related to me. Yeah, yeah, because Mort and, yeah. Yeah, because Mort, my last name, does mean death. And is it a thing where, like, this guy, his his family emigrated to England and went, well, our name means death here. Yeah. So we'll just use it here. We already did find a coroner in England from around this time who turned out to be related to me. We were we were distant cousins. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Meanwhile, John is probably like, guys, it's Deeth. <laughs> it's Deeth. <laughs> so, yeah, they do start checking, and after two days, they find John Deeth's <laughs> shop. No, you give that man the deathly respect he deserves. John Mort. That's, that's a lot better. <laughs> John, John Death's shop in Cheapside. And Death is like, 
Yeah, I traded a few items of mine for that chain. <laughs> it actually is cheap side. I know it is. And he describes the man he traded with. Aged 30, height 5 foot 6 or 7 inches, complexion sallow, thin features, a foreigner, supposed German, speaks good English, dress black frock coat and vest, dark trousers, and black hat. God damn, John! Way to go with the description, man. Yeah, 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 pretty good description. Well, I think I think John was a little bit of a detective. Which, with the last name, also pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> detective Death. This week on NBC, <laughs> Death gets into a tragic game of cat and mouse. <laughs> so, you know, the public, meanwhile, is going absolutely wild over this. There's a lot of fury over Briggs' death. It gave the train naysayers a lot of mileage. Um, <laughs> Fuck, three. No. That's three tonight. There was one in the tiny, one already here, and that's three. Yes. I was, I was actually kind of hoping for it. I'm on this new medication, and it's making my back and my legs cramp up. <laughs> so it's like occasionally, just, occasionally I'm just using it to leave. You're just looking for an excuse. Really. So this was called by the Daily News one of the most atrocious crimes which has occurred for some time. And actually, it was called by almost every newspaper that because it was the same article in 20 different newspapers. You, you learn these things eventually. You learn to start skipping the ones that have the same exact wording in the, the preview. You're like, nope, that's that's a reprint, 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 reprint. Or plagiarism, plagiarism. I'm not sure. I don't know. So uh, it's, it's done today. There's a, uh, there's a semi-famous YouTube video of everybody reading the same news report oh, the, word for word on on like several local news stations. It's the, the Sinclair thing. Yeah. Yeah, the Sinclair yeah. Broadcasting because they own a lot of local news stations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's one company owning all of those and instructing people to say those things. This is different individual newspapers, as far as I can tell, not under the same concern. So as I don't know. I don't know if they had a deal or if it was one writer working for several papers, and I, I have no idea, but so... And actually, a similar robbery had occurred in pretty much that same spot four or five years prior. The difference in that case was the thief jumped out instead of pushing the victim out. And the victim survived, the thief was caught, and was transported for life. So was sent to Australia for the rest of their life to oh, no. be with the kangaroos. Not Australia. Actually, Australia is pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, the coast is nice, but that, that big part in the center where everything tries to kill you... Like, there's a ribbon of livable area in Australia. Waters are just trying to kill you. The desert tries to kill you. And then you have a few cities where you might make it out okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of press coverage of this. And so one man reads about it in the paper. And he goes to Scotland Yard with a little tale. This man was named Jonathan Matthews. He was a cabman. He said that he knew a man named Franz Mueller, who was his sister's boyfriend. And then... A weird story about Mueller pops, pops up in, in the, the Sheffield and Rotherham Independent. I didn't see this anywhere else, and it was right as Franz Mueller's name was starting to circulate. I do, this, this, is, this is speculation, but I do kind of think there's a possibility that this was made up. <laughs> because you didn't see it in court or anything, as far as I could tell. Well, I actually had it, not his sister, that Mueller was engaged to his daughter. Okay, so I think that was also an error in the newspapers because his young daughter was the one who found the box that we're going to get to in a minute. So I think that, because everywhere else I saw his sister, 
And then, like, one article I saw his daughter. So I think that that was another. And that, I think, was in a modern article. Yeah, because um, it, it said that he was engaged to his eldest daughter, but then his little daughter found the box. Yeah, I have. Here's what I have. Uh, formerly engaged to his daughter. So he wasn't engaged at the moment. But formerly is what I actually have. Yeah, I have. It's really just one of those cases where we just don't know. Exactly. There's 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 too many variations and sources, and things get things get messed up in the in the modern you know like retellings and everything. And I don't want to be part of propagating that either, even though it's just a small detail. But yeah, it's it's some female that he was related to. Yes, exactly. There we go. It was a female he was related to, and so this story pops up. It was not unfrequently noticed that he had in his possession a very handsome gold watch and massive chain, by no means according with his position or the money at his command. Some months ago, he got into a broil with some woman or women and lost his watch and chain. He refused to give any description of them or offer any reward or make any inquiries, but has continually complained and most bitterly of the loss he had sustained. Since the murder, he has shown on several occasions a watch, a very handsome one, and said he had saved up enough money to buy it. Don't go flashing the fucking evidence around. <laughs> yeah, no, the latter part, that last part could very well be true, but uh, the the first part, I, I, I just think it would have popped up in, in all of the in, like cross-examination and such that I saw in the newspapers. Although, one thing I will state about the newspaper accounts of the court proceedings was they would only recount the answers that the people testifying gave, they did not give any account of the questions, so it's just this long paragraph that is only answers to questions you don't know. We call that legal Mad Libs. Yeah, right? So, later in court, it said that he had gone kind of broke and tried to pawn the the watch, which is why I don't really believe this story. So I think it's just, you know, uh, maybe a rumor Somebody at the paper heard, and they were like, hey, did you hear this about Franz Mueller? And it's just some bar talk that ends up in, yeah. the, in the paper, or pub talk, rather. Yeah, and, and then Matthews is just like, I want, I want that reward money. I know some stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, and the thing was that he did show up at Matthews' house, Mueller did, with a new watch. And it was about two days after the murder, this is Matthew's story. He said he came. He showed off this, this gold chain he bought for three pounds, ten shillings. That's about 500 U.S. dollars today. And he, he showed off this chain. I don't think he showed off the watch. So that's interesting. And then Mueller gave the box from the jeweler to Matthew's little daughter to play with. And a couple days later, Matthew's found it and found Mr. Death's name and address engraved inside. Imagine that. You pick up a box and you're like, oh, my God. Did this, like... Is this like the ring? <laughs> I opened this box and then six days later I die. <laughs> I mean, I, sometimes you kind of hope for that. <laughs> so they go, the police go to the jewelers and Mr. Death is like, yep, that's the box. I put the chain in. So then they're like, all right, let's see if we can connect Mueller to the hat and the, the beaver hat. So they bring Jonathan Matthews into Scotland Yard, and he has this whole story about he had, he had purchased that very hat for Mueller four months ago because he had one like it. Matthews had a hat. Mueller admired it. Mueller was like, can you get me a hat like that? And Matthews was like, yeah, I can do that. Bing, bang, boom, hat. So he had a picture of Mueller. The police took that to Mr. Death, and they said, yep. He, he's like, that's, that's the guy. 
They also talked to another lodger in the house where Mueller lives, and he said the night of the murder, Mueller came home around 11 p.m., seemed a little confused, said he had sprained his ankle in a run-in with a car in the city, like a, a carriage, and uh, said lodger also bought the pawn ticket off of Mueller for the chain. So he's he does end up doing this. He, he pawns a whole bunch of his stuff, and then he just kind of hands the tickets out willy-nilly, like, oh, you want this pawn ticket? You want this pawn ticket? You can go pick up my shit at the pond at the jewelry store, you know? And so, yeah, he, he had pawned a lot of his stuff. And for four pounds, he bought passage to New York aboard the Victoria to head to America. Now, the Victoria was one of the cheaper options, and thus it was pretty slow and actually would end up taking even three weeks longer than expected. So a really long voyage. And so the police are like, okay, well, we got this guy. And we need to catch him. He's on a boat. Let's get on a boat! Boat chase! <laughs> boat chase! This is our second boat chase uh, on the show. About 50 years later, a similar chase would occur in which Inspector Walter Dew chased Harvey Holly Crippen across the Atlantic. That's episode five, Ships Ahoy, Naughty Boy. If you mm -hmm. haven't heard it, you should go back in time and listen to that. <laughs> so... It is Inspector Tanner and Sergeant George Clark giving chase via a steamboat, the city of Manchester, and they also bring along with them Jonathan Matthews, the cab driver, and John Death, the jeweler. So, free trip! <laughs> yeah, and, and that's honestly why Detective Death, because all of a sudden he's going across the ocean to identify somebody getting off the boat. Honestly, it's like an NBC series. It's so cool. Right? Where it's like, oh, this dude's just an author, but he solves crime in his spare time. <laughs> oh, this dude, he's a chef, but he solves chef-related murders. And it is necessary because you need people to identify him in order to actually extradite him back to England. So it's not just a matter of picking somebody. Like, they have a warrant but they need to prove to the American authorities that they have a right to bring this person. But they in. have a picture, too. Like, I feel like that was a cheaper option. But the actual people are better than a picture. You could grab anybody's picture. Like, you know, they go to Mueller's house, they rifle through whatever he left, they find a picture of him, and they're like, there we go, this is our guy, even though all they've done is gone into a guy's house and rifled through his shit, you know? So, like, you got to have some other corroborating evidence, and, and the, the jeweler and, and the cabman were it. So... They arrived, now they're on a steamboat, they arrive a lot faster in just two weeks, so they had about three weeks of sightseeing in New York before <laughs> Mueller's ship finally got there, and also probably getting everything in order for the extradition, because that was, it was a little gnarly, there were some, a little bit of bad blood between America and the UK at, the, at that period of time, there had been some recent incidents during the Civil War, and so there was just, it was, uh, a few moments where they thought we might not be able to extradite this guy, but I'll tell you, I love the names of the ships too. Yeah, yeah. Like the the Mueller ship was called the Victoria, but they chased him on the ship, the City of Manchester. <laughs> yeah. God, damn, that's a good name. And of course, of course, there's false sightings back in England. Uh, this <laughs> he becomes is... he becomes their Sasquatch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really is. So this is from The Guardian on July 23rd. Uh, so, you know, they were already on their way to try and pick him up. A person is in custody at Stafford on a charge of stealing luggage who is, whose appearance is said to correspond in almost every particular with the description given of Franz Mueller, the murderer of Mr. Briggs. In a notebook found on his possession was an entry signed, 
I can't tell if the, the paper curves at the end. I can't tell if it's an M or an F, but then there is Mueller. A London pawn ticket of a gold watch was also found upon him. When charged on suspicion of the murder of Mr. Briggs, he smiled and said nothing, but afterwards burst into tears. That's a strange happenstance. Yeah. I, uh, I was out in my backyard. It was about 12.30, maybe 1 in the morning. I heard a ruckus coming from the backyard and showed my light out in there. There he was going through the garbage. Franz Mueller. <laughs> He stood eight foot tall. He was wearing gold glasses that he got from Briggs' dead body. And he had a third nipple on the back of his neck. <laughs> on the ship, Mueller didn't really attract any attention. And the captain said later he had no idea that there was a murderer aboard. So there's a little difference between the Dr. Crippen episode. Because Dr. Crippen had a lady dressed as a man with him. So that kind of drew a little bit of notice. A lady dressed as a man who he introduced as his son... And did everything but put his dick inside well, in front of that. other people. Yeah. So they're trying, as the boat's coming into port, everybody's trying to keep this real quiet uh, so that they can get on board and catch him and not have any risk of him trying to flee or hide and not make this any more complicated than it already is because now it's, you know, an international chase. And But some, the, the, it's been in the newspapers already that the, 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 the boat carrying Mueller is expected to arrive... <laughs> And so some dingus on another boat passing the Victoria as it came into port yelled out, How are you, Mueller, the murderer? Mueller goes, Say that? <laughs> uh, he actually was going below at the time, so he didn't hear it. But the cops were like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> Stupid Americans. <laughs> I wanted to know, let him know I know. And then give him what for, I say. They boarded the ship and confronted Mueller he said, I did not do it, and I can prove that I was not there at all. They did find that he had the victim's hat on him, and the watch was sewn up in canvas in his trunk. Now, the hat was kind of an interesting situation, because he had actually done a little... He, he was trying to branch out. You know, he's a tailor, and he's like, well, you know, they've got all these sewing machines. They can beat me at that game, but they don't have hatting machines. I'm going to try my hand at being a hatter. And so he cut the middle part of the top hat out and then sewed it, the, the, the crown to the brim. Like that, there's, it's got to be obvious. It's got to be obvious. It was said to be a messy job. And there were kind of questions as to whether a tailor would do such a shoddy job. But a tailor isn't a hatter. They're two separate professions and specialties. Well, he's also on a boat. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. This, and this is what I find the oddest thing of the entire case is that his redesign of this hat becomes all the fashion rage. Oh yeah, this is the new trend. It's the Mueller cut down. Right. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it goes, it goes all the way to fucking future Prime Minister Winston goddamn Churchill. Yeah, he was known to wear one. Uh, it would be renamed to the Cambridge, and probably, I'd say probably by the time he was wearing it. Cambridge? Uh, I, I say we call it the murderer flop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they actually did sort of a lineup. They actually had some of the other passengers line up with Mueller, and they had Matthews and Death pick out Mueller from the crowd. So actually in 1864, you don't see this. No. They bring you one picture normally, and they don't have any comparison. But the lineup, I think, was really, that was a good bit of, of police work and really ahead of their time, as far as I'm aware. That wasn't... 
wasn't being done so much. The police, I think the most accurate representation of the police work in England for that time comes from a TV show that, uh, if our audience hasn't, hasn't seen, you need to see it. It's called Year of the Rabbit. And it's about, it's about a detective named, his, his name is Rabbit. He only has one eyebrow because he fell asleep drunk one night and the dog chewed it off. And uh, his, his rival and ex-lover uh, goes out, they find a dead body, and he goes, hmm, the sun is coming up in the west, and it's rising, it's rising now. And over here we find a bit of blue, a bit of blue paint spilled here. That man's wearing blue pants. Arrest him! (laughs) (laughs) Another case solved. Pants, paint, close enough. (laughs) So they did have to extradite him, as I said. That took about another week. They head back to Britain on September 3rd. They arrive in Houston about two weeks later, and the crowd had gotten advanced word, so there was a nice angry mob, and, like, the transportation police had to hold people back. They toss him in Newgate Prison, and the trial starts on October 27th at the Old Bailey. He pleads not guilty. I found this interesting. I think I've seen it before, but it just kind of reignited my interest. As an immigrant to England, he has the option of having a jury partly comprised of foreigners. You can pick. You can have 12 Englishmen or you can have like a mixed bag. He goes with the 12 Englishmen and the prosecution presents its case. Interestingly, Briggs's niece, the one who he had had dinner with prior to boarding the train, when she was testifying, she said she'd heard of threats made against her uncle she thought from somebody who he or, you know, he and the bank had refused to lend money to. So that was kind of interesting that, like, the prosecution was probably like, no, cut, cut that out. Stop, stop. I don't know how I feel about having, like, you know, like, like foreigners. Like, in this case, I'm okay with it. But, like, if this is, like, an OA headhunter and they have, like, number one, where are you going to find six OA headhunters in England? And number, number two, cannibalism is just their way. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that came up very often but you know what better safe than sorry is what I say so there and then there was a really interesting moment when Briggs's son testified and this is from the Liverpool Mercury Mueller who was sitting at the time instantly stood up and appeared to devour every word the witness uttered but with an expression of sympathy that was strikingly remarkable and there was it seemed like Mueller had not had a great relationship with his father. He'd done a lot of rebelling growing up. So I, I think that is that is my personal idea of what was going on there. He, he was son to son, and he regretted that rebelling. So it was son to son. He was like, I feel bad for this dude. Uh, so, But he has a defense lawyer who has some witnesses to put up, too. We have an alibi witness who uh, said Mueller had been with her at the time of the murder. She was what they called in the papers a girl of the town. Prostitute. That's what that is, yes. <laughs> she didn't even know him by his real name, so this is a rough alibi. <laughs> like, that's that's when you regret giving you a false name. You don't have to know his name. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Client number five of just, the day. If you just if you just pull his pants down, I can probably identify him. Got a mole on his left oh. butt cheek. <laughs> yeah. Oh my it's god. It's ticklish. Oh my god, that's him. That's him. So, in Large. the in the paper, uh, the madam uh, put it. They called her a landlady. Uh-huh. I, I have two female lodgers, young women, who receive the visits of men. He had been seeing this young lady for about a year. 
And the madam said that Mueller came around 9.30, found his lady friend wasn't home, talked to the madam for five to ten minutes, and then left. But the thing is, is that they were able to corroborate this time. Because, you know, time is kind of like, oh, how did you know it was 9.30? Well, they had a telegram that was from another client of the young ladies requesting that she visit him and come at 9 o'clock. And... I'll come at 9.15. So they remembered when she left and thus what time Mueller came to the house pretty well because, you know, that was when she was out with her telegram client. And it is really just so delightful to me uh, soliciting via telegram. <laughs> like, I, I love the use of technology there. Like, that, it never occurred to me that people would be like, yeah, I can, I can use that to, to get me a girl of the town. Like, it's just kind of But fun. I love it that this actually made the Solicitor General yell, is this whole case going to rest on the reliability of a brothel clock? <laughs> I don't see any problem with that. What? I would think a brothel clock would be pretty well-timed. Yes, you know, seriously. Like 15 minutes is up, get out. Yeah. You don't want that thing being slow. Yeah. I feel like they would probably have the best clocks. Swiss. Only Swiss. Mm -hmm. So... I actually toyed with the idea of owning a brothel at one point. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And I still, you know, if the chance uh, presented itself, I still would. Uh, I had the idea of like whenever you went in, you didn't pay for the time. Like, you would get like an hourglass and go, do you want to purchase this? This, like, here's like an hourglass for 30 minutes. Here's one for an hour. Here's one for an hour and a half. This is our $200 clock. This is our $300 clock, and this is our $450 clock. Definitely. Uh, I'm telling you, it would have been classy. It feels classy. I was just going to say. Yeah. There, there, yeah. Was, there were going to be hors d'oeuvres. Absolutely. So. The, the, Christy's uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable. I, I, I'm thinking of hors d'oeuvres now, and I, I like hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres and sex. <laughs> I, would just, I would just go for the hors d'oeuvres and... Finger food. <laughs> so. And then we'll have some hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> now, the idea about him arriving home to his lodgings with, you know, a, a, a bad leg from an injury, that sort of, like, seems like it could be really in, kind of incriminating. But the thing is, is there were several people who testified that he was, quote-unquote, lame from the accident uh, with the cart for some time before the murder. And in fact, the day of the murder, he was wearing a slipper. And they called it a carpet slipper. So I'm kind of thinking like a bedroom slipper rather than a boot or a shoe due to the injury. Like couldn't get his foot into a boot or a shoe. So that that feels like you're you're really <laughs> making it a little difficult to rob someone when you're not even properly shod, yeah. you know? So... Um, and several hatters actually testified that it was totally normal to cut a hat down like that. Like, this is, they're like, no, he, he probably wasn't trying to hide anything. He's changing the style a little bit, you know, like, you know, top hat's not his deal, so he'll go for a Mueller cut down. And there was another witness who had been at the scene and said that they'd seen two men with Briggs. Neither of them were Mueller. Some doubts coming up here. Mueller said he could totally explain the watch. And his explanation is, it's not great. He bought it from a man at the docks. I mean, <sighs> he was missing a watch, though. And if somebody on the street is like, do you want a watch? He's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I do. Maybe there was just a guy who sold watches down at the docks, but then, like, why wouldn't... If, it, if his lawyer was any good, he should find that man. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so so one time I made uh, our, our really great friend Elena buy a frog on a street corner, and I can guarantee you that if we ever tried... Or a turtle, sorry. Uh, um, it was a turtle, but I would never find that guy again. Ever. He was just some random guy that one day was selling turtles on a street corner. It just happened, and it was great. <laughs> but, like, I, I don't think I could describe him or, like, give anyone a You were direction. focused on the turtle. Right? I wanted the turtle. And I, I feel like he was probably walking, and some guy's like, hey, got a watch. Do you want a watch? He's like, yeah, you know what? I really need a watch, actually. How much? Yeah, I can afford that. And then he's got this shiny, beautiful watch mm-hmm. and this new hat, and he's just like, this was a great day. Who sold it? I don't know. Some fucking guy. Like, I have a shiny watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And it's been a couple months. The guy could have, like, he, he could circulate to different places to sell. He's not necessarily always down at the docks. He could he could be, you know, roaming around. He doesn't necessarily have a permanent spot. And well, if people are selling you something illegal, you also don't want to look them in the eye. Yeah, there's that, too. And she still, she still has that turtle. I know she does. <laughs> Donatello. <laughs> it's weird she went with that one first. Most people, I think, would start with Leonardo. I, I don't know. I don't know where we're going with this. Teenage Ninja, Ninja Turtle. No, I know that, but why Leonardo? Why do you pick Leonardo? I would go well, with Michelangelo. Would, he would. He was the leader. Leonardo was the leader, so you start he with Leonardo. He was overrated. Oh, well, yeah, he's very absolutely. overrated, but most people would go with Leonardo. Michelangelo. lack imagination. I would yeah. go, I would go, honestly, Leonardo, then Raphael, Michelangelo, and then Donatello, dead last. Fucking Ma- nerd. Michelangelo is number number one. Okay. And I, I will have you know that that is God's truth. God came down and he told 23 me. skidoo, motherfuckers. 23 mm-hmm. skidoo. That's our new thing. We're saying it in, in various contexts. We don't really have... Any particular use for it that's really like standard yet? It just seems to be like the I told you. <laughs> I want people to write in or leave a comment on whatever whatever platform you're uh, you happen to be listening to us on. Come on over to the Facebook page. Give us the order of turtles by importance. Yes, please do. This is a point of contention that we'll not be able to drop, and each, we need input. Each one of us is looking at each other with hate in their eyes. Real hate. This this podcast might never air because we might kill each other with nunchucks. Oh, sure, you would puck and pick the nunchucks. Right? The right. worst you one. orange wear, mask wearing like a motherfucker, you. <laughs> I really want pizza now, though. Anyhow. Oh, that's, that, that's a constant for me. So, <laughs> there were two days of trial and then jury deliberation, which was the old-timey standard of... Do you guys have it, or do you want to guess? I was going to say shoddy at best. But... <laughs> yeah, shoddy at best is also good, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do you guys want to guess? Go for it. 15 minutes. I don't have it. I don't have it, but I'm going to say... I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go 14 minutes. 15 uh, minutes. Ha! God damn it! <laughs> so uh, the verdict is guilty. He is sentenced to hang, and boy, does the judge hammer it! Oh my god! Remove from your mind the possibility that you will live much longer in this world, and I assure you that within a short time you will be removed from it by a violent death, and that's not a violent jeweler. So, man, and. This is this is one of the last 
public executions. Yeah, yeah. In England. And it was a total shit show. I have a little bit before we get there. Um, because Mueller made a statement. Oh, I don't yeah. have that shit. Mueller advanced to the front of the dock, holding his hand to his face. His lips moved once or twice, but no sound came forth. At last he said, I was prepared for the sentence. I have been convicted, not by a true, but by a false statement. And if I die according to the sentence, I shall die an innocent death. We don't get statements very often. Yeah. And they're usually much much more bitter than that. But And there were some attempts to stop the hanging. I found this really interesting in the paper. Three people made written and sworn statements to the police court the day before the execution. All right. So one was from André Messena, Baron de Kimin of the Rue Richelieu in Paris. Wow, this guy, okay. He said he'd been down by the murder scene before the body was discovered and seen a man covered in blood staggering around. And he'd even said to someone nearby, he looks like a man who had killed someone or someone had tried to kill him. The man then staggered toward the canal, seemed to be trying to avoid them. And the Baron had, he'd come forward already. He told all this to Sergeant Clark during the investigation. Now, that doesn't seem all too exonerating because you're like, well, that very well could have been Mueller. But uh, then you have Mueller's landlady and her husband. They both stated that on the day of the murder, Mueller had been wearing a dark suit and hat, all clean and spotless. On the day after the murder, they'd all gone out together with Mueller wearing the same hat as the day before. Regarding the black beaver hat, uh, Mrs. Blythe said, from what I have read and heard concerning such hat, I should at once say that such hat was not the hat he usually wore or even ever had worn while lodging with me. So she has a diff di completely different story than Matthews, and she lives with the guy. Mm -hmm. And Matthews kind of has... I can, I can picture Matthews having, like, a beef with, with Mueller. That occurred to me, Yeah. Too. Yeah, whether yeah. it be his sister or his daughter, he was just like, screw this guy. Yeah. And, and yeah, saw a way that he could, he could really nail him to the wall. Uh, the German Legal Protection Society in England also communicated with the Home Secretary trying to get a commutation, but there would be none. And so on November 14th, 1864, people were very easily able to attend by taking the train to nearby Farringdon Station, which is, right? About a mile's walk to the gallows at the Old Bailey. And do you want to talk about the execution? Yeah, like I said, total fucking shit show. Mm -hmm. 50,000 spectators. Some sources said 100,000. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised. Right? And they called it a cavalcade of drunkenness and disorderly conduct. Yes, on, uh, on... Rich Ware said on Roman Road, London, people waited all day and reports of drunkenness, unruly behavior, and general public disorder meant that this macabre display was one of the last public executions to take place in the UK. That would be four years later when there actually is the last. It's Michael Barrett. He was a Fenian, which someday will do the Fenian Brotherhood and all that. But um, he was had taken part in the Clerkenwell bombing that killed 12 bystanders. And uh, just the previous month, you had the last woman hanged publicly. That was Frances Kidder. She had killed her stepdaughter. The interesting thing about that story being that she didn't know she had a stepdaughter until she married. <laughs> and there was some bitterness there. Not that the stepdaughter deserved any of that, but... And uh, here's the thing that's funny to me, okay? It seems like the reason for moving the public executions out of sight, they're not like execution is bad, they're like, no, the people who come to this are bad. We're going to keep on hanging people, just keep it out of sight, because killing people is okay. State-sponsored killing people is okay. 
But drunkenness and unruly behavior and, and, and you know, like dark jokes, that is where we draw the line, people. <laughs> jokes and beer. I'm <laughs> fucked. They would hate us. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it just seems a little bit, you know, you, you spend all 15 minutes discussing the points of the trial before you decide on a guilty ber- verdict. You hang the man. There's nothing whatsoever wrong with all that. But there's, like, people getting rowdy. Well, we have a problem now. Now, he did supposedly confess to a minister just before the hanging. That's pretty fucking suspect. No, the whole thing, though, was actually amazing. So the literal translation uh, was, I have done it. It's ich habe es gotten. But the, the minister replied, Christ have mercy upon your soul. And Mueller goes, my God, I feel sure of it. Well, okay. Here was that, the lead up that, to that. That to me sounds like an innocent person. Though. Yeah. And here was the lead up to that. Was the the minister saying, "Did you do it?" And Mueller goes, "No." Christ needs to know, "Did you do it?" And Mueller says, "No." You know, you really don't want to die without saying that you did it. Did you do it? And Mueller's like, "Okay, my, can we just get on with it?" I think he was really like the, the minister asked him seriously like four times in four different really overly complicated ways that he had done it. And I honestly wonder if Mueller wasn't just like, oh, come on. If I say no, or if I say I did it, will you just hang me already? (laughs) Will you just get it over with? Because I can only imagine the tension. So honestly, yeah, I think I I agree that the the confession is is really suspect. this This is one of the occasions where I think an innocent man was put to death. Yes, and it was also said to be almost inaudible. And think of this, you have 50 to 100,000 drunken revelers here. Do you really think, you know, as they're all, the crowd is roaring and laughing and everything, do you really think the minister could clearly hear what he said? I, 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 I am suspect of any confession that takes place in, cr- in front of a giant crowd yeah. un- under such immense pressure. I, look, I don't care if it was quiet as a fucking church mouse. I didn't hear what he said. And somebody as a minister, just because they're a minister, it doesn't make them better. Yeah. They're humans. Quite honestly, when I'm teaching drum lessons, and this is the God's honest truth, if somebody comes to me with their kid and they say, well, I'm a pastor at a local church, I can be guaranteed that guy's going to fuck me over in one way or another. Yeah, because for all we know, Mueller looked at this guy and goes, suck my German dick. And he goes, he confessed, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, do, I was wondering where we would fall on this. I do agree that I think, all right, here's where I land. I think there's at least, I'm going to say, a 70% chance that an innocent man was hanged. I'm, I still have room because the, the, a lot of evidence does seem to point towards his guilt, but then you bring in Matthews and it's like, eh, I think this the, guy had a bone to pick. All the evidence that points towards his guilt is circumstantial at best. Yes. I'm going to say 99% innocent. Okay. I'm going to go 95% innocent. Yeah. Okay. Now... You guys uh, probably would agree with, uh, with with Briggs because Briggs sent a message to Gerald Massey. A oh, spiritualist. I love this! I loved it. Yes, apparently Massey was fucking around with his Ouija board, and my uh, uh, my sister's name last name was Massey. Oh, really? My oldest sister. Yeah. Maybe a relative of this gentleman. M a s s e y. Massey. Yep, that's this guy. And, uh, yeah, Briggs sent him a message as he was doing his automatic writing that said, Mueller, not guilty, robbery, not murder. It might not have been automatic writing. With, with the planchet. He was using a planchet, definitely. Oh, yeah. So. Automatic writing is kind of one of those deals where the person closes their eyes and lets their hand go wherever you want. 
And whenever, supposedly, whenever it's first done, it's very difficult to read. But as you start to see, like in the swirls, you start to see words, you get more confident with it, and all of a sudden it's it's automatic. You can close your eyes, and supposedly the spirits come through you. Uh, I don't believe in it. Surpri- <laughs> yeah. Surprised? <laughs> so yeah, this uh, Massey, to the, him, this meant that the death had been an accident that happened while Briggs was trying to escape Mueller when Mueller was robbing him. That was his uh, interpretation. It only really got picked up by, I think, like the Daily News, and that was it. He, uh, Mueller had a full-length portrait up at Madame Tussauds within a few days of the execution. I never pronounced that the same way twice. <laughs> Madame Tussies. <laughs> Madame Tussauds. Um, you can also find at the Museum of London his death mask as well as his teeth. They, Jesus. Yeah, they found his teeth 20 years after his execution. They were digging up the grave and moving him so that they could plop someone else in there with him. The teeth fell out, someone swiped him, and eventually they made their way to the museum. They cannibalized him. Yeah, basically. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier, for our listeners, uh, we had brunch with Christy, and earlier Christy and I got into a nerd fight over what the definition of cannibalize was. It was an etymological battle of the ages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... And also, this had an effect on the laws. Within a few years, they had implemented a requirement for train carriages to have an emergency cord that passengers could pull in case of an incident. And then carriages that didn't have a corridor were filled with a little... They, they fitted them with a little porthole, which would come to be called Mueller lights. This guy just keeps on getting stuff named after him. Yeah, the Briggs gets nothing. I know, right? Even, even what happened to Briggs ends up becoming uh, absolutely Muellered or proper Muellered, which uh, damaged, murdered, or more recently, drunk. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting proper Muellered tonight. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Muellered. So, and then there is a plaque on the Bow Heritage Trail at 129 Cadogan Terrace, where that's where they took Briggs' body to the, the pub. There is now a pub there called The Italian Job, as well as I could tell from... Google Maps didn't actually have the name of it, but you could see the windows in one street view, but then as soon as you moved, it was a street view from like three years before that, and the place wasn't there, and the windows were all like covered. So I think it's called the Italian job. But speaking of that, I have to finish us off, unless you guys have anything else. You're saying Italian job, and then finishing us off, and all, all I'm picturing is like, you know those giant stuffed shells, like just using those to like cup the balls. I don't know why. That's just I immediately where my brain went. Your your brain is a really. Oh, what do you place. like a blowing job? <laughs> <laughs> so, I have from the general area where he lived some British pubs. They're not super close. They are in the area. So we have uh, Rehab Hackney. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. I right? love it. It actually is a very like kind of classy, nice looking joint. Uh, the Gun. The Hemingway. Hey, buddy. Hey. You got a bar. <laughs> I've actually been to the Hemingway bar in... Uh, the Hemingway bar in... That sound you heard was a spider going on to the next life. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second spider that Scott has dispatched today. Although the first one he ended up throwing into my grill. I was trying to put it into the yard and I tossed it into the grill. I even said yeet whatever I did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> So, uh, yes, I've been to the Hemingway Bar. I think it was in Nice, but I could be wrong. It was good. Uh, The Cat and Mutton. 
That's, I'm not eating there. <laughs> Me neither. I don't know what they're serving. Rock a dollar. And finally, the Lord Morpeth, which I looked up a little bit because I was curious if there was Didn't a story behind the name. did Darth Vader in some, <laughs> some comic? And so, I know it's not canon, but I think Lord Morpeth. I couldn't find the specific reason because I, I got kind of uh, enjoying, I got kind of stuck enjoying the actual history of the place. It's uh, nestled on Old Ford Road, a stone's throw from Victoria Park. And here is from their website. Steeped in history, the Lord Morpeth is the perfect blend of old-time drinking and new world atmosphere. Serving booze since 1848, so it would have been there at the time of the murder, the pub was a regular drinking hole for the Sylvia Pankhurst-led suffragettes. I enjoyed that thoroughly, and I'm, I'm just... So often when I look up pubs, I'm like, eh, most of these probably weren't there at the time. So it's so nice to know that there was at least one that was. Yeah. I'm like, that yeah. makes me feel like really like somehow more grounded in the story. So, so yeah, that is Franz Mueller and the first train murder in the UK. And if you liked that, well, we have our Patreon. We talked about it at the top of the show. We also have, uh, you can give us money via PayPal, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Just plug in that email address to send us any amount of money, and you will get a shout-out on the show. And you can also request that, you know, uh, Scott moans it or Amber screams it uh, erotically or um, whatever. Yes. <laughs> so, All of it. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to get really scary. Christy <laughs> sings it, Scott moans it, Amber screams it. <laughs> You're going to have some stalkers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so am I. You can do that. And uh, we also, you rate, review, subscribe on, you know, iTunes, whatever. We're also on our social media, Old Timey Crimey on Facebook and Twitter. Scott's putting up some really interesting media related to the cases. And then sometimes we just have like random stuff that pops up in the news regarding, you know, like previous cases or just crime in general. So you can uh, have that as, as part of your, your daily scrolling. And uh, oh, over on Short Story Short Podcast, uh, Chris Garcia and I are having a lot of fun lately. We, we read through all of the Hugo nominated short stories and reviewed them. I wonder why the Hugo nominated ones. <laughs> he made sure that the audience knew every episode, so. And if he didn't, I did. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, then we, at the very end, we discussed, it was Christy's, Christy makes her choice as to which one I would vote for if I were able to vote for the Hugos. But the surprise was he got me a supporting membership. So I actually do get to vote. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. I was so excited. I was like, this means so much more when it's not just me talking to a couple hundred people, you know? So yeah, we're really having a lot of fun talking about those stories over there, having a really great time. And now we're, we're doing a little literary track now because we were in sci-fi and fantasy Are you for so long. you going to swan? <laughs> we did this one already. That's where I, I knew know. that story from. Swan shit. Swan shit. Chris, yes. Chris Garcia is the type of man who's had the life that you, like, it's, it's just an incredible life the man's led, and you want to hate him, but he's so goddamn lovable you can't. I know, right? Right? <laughs> I was, like, anybody else, anybody else, kind of, you know Bill Shatner once told me <laughs> that him and the Pope, the Pope is a nice guy, by the way, <laughs> him and the Pope were talking about Linda Lovelace. Linda, lovely woman, makes an amazing casserole. Any other person, I go, 
you name dropping piece of shit. With Chris Garcia, it's like, tell me more, you lovable man. <laughs> well, and that's exactly what I did because he was telling me about George R. R. Martin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you met him in real life. Tell me more. Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah, right? He's only five foot one. What? Like <laughs> I imagine him to be eight foot tall going through the garbage with a third nipple on the back of his neck. <laughs> what is with the third nipple on the back of the neck? <laughs> Now all the, the Sasquatch thing. hunters are going to be looking for that. And wearing the gold glasses. Don't forget the gold yeah. glasses. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel back there anytime I make out with somebody just to make sure there's no nipple. <laughs> well, you know, I guess, I mean, if they do have one, are you going to stop making out? Is the no, I'm question. just going to rub it. It's polite. <laughs> oh, okay, because it's polite. You are a very polite person. <laughs> Manners are important. So the whole, the whole third nipple thing, third nipple on the back of his neck, there is a song by Weird Al Yankovic about Charles Nelson Riley, and if you don't know who Charles Nelson Riley was, he was he was a celebrity back in the sixties and seventies, very flamboyant, very flamboyant, and for for the longest time, Weird Al wanted to write a song about Charles Nelson Riley because Charles Nelson Riley, like modern people, are, is going to know him. He's kind of the inspiration for the Alien on American Dad. Okay. That's Charles Nelson Riley, right? So Weird Al wanted to write this song about Charles Nelson Riley. So he he goes to his estate, and it turned out his estate, uh, Alec Baldwin had done like a very flamboyant, very wimpy kind of impersonation of Charles Nelson Riley, and they were very, very displeased with it. And they said, "Yeah, go ahead, but whatever you do, don't make him like a wuss." And the line from the song, listen to the song. It's called CNR. And it's like, Charles Nelson Riley was a mighty man, the kind of man you never disrespect. He, foot eight foot, he stood eight foot tall, wore glasses, and had a third nipple on the back of his neck. And as it, the song progresses, it becomes like this guy would like eat his body weight in coal and shit diamonds. <laughs> and he trained a rattlesnake to do his laundry. <laughs> and, it's, and they said, just don't make him seem like a wimp. And instead, it's like, just imagine the alien. Like, just being a ninja warrior master of disguise. Oh, I like how, how uh, Weird Al just, like, he, he's like, all right, okay. I will take that and I will run with yes. it at top speed. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we started this with Short Story Patrol Podcast. Link is in the show notes. We're having a great time. You can read some short stories and, and enjoy our discussions of them. And... Um, uh, we have merch. Don't forget our merch. Uh, some good stuff up over on uh, Put Red my Bubble. face next to your nipples. <laughs> yes, put Amber's face next to your nipples. Oh, dear God. Actually, it would be my face on one nipple, Chrissy's on another, and you motorboating in between. <laughs> oh, I'm in the best spot. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're getting bap, bap, bap on the side of the head. Let me motorboat you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, you can let Amber motorboat you with our logo t-shirt and other shirts we have. Over on Redbubble, link is in the show notes. And you know what? If I have any more bullshit, it's way too hot in here to talk about it. So, what are we doing this week, guys? Um, making an ice bath. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in physical therapy and um, get my allergy shot. And um, <laughs> my life is so freaking boring. I can't even tell you. I do, I do have plans to get an appointment for a deep tissue massage Ooh, to cool. get like just before, like one of my physical therapists, I asked her if it would be a good idea and she said, she said, yeah, she's like, you'll, you'll hurt some afterwards, but it's a good idea 
And uh, so right before uh, I go on a trip so that the, the time in the car is maybe not so torturous. So I'm going to book that appointment and then look super forward to it. But you know what? That sounds like pure hell to me right now because we're in, we're in a definite heat wave for the next week and it's really fucking hot. And the idea of somebody touching me is just appalling. Yeah. Like, well, it's appalling <laughs> in here, but if you go into an office that's air conditioned. Then perhaps yeah. after the sweat dries on my body. Mm-hmm. But, like, right now, the idea of somebody touching me and not, like, making me orgasm is just disgusting. <laughs> Scott, what are you up to? Ice bath, too? Uh, I guess ice bath, too. <laughs> I've, I've been doing, like, a lot of 3D printing. So, I... I got my death whistle today. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Finally, finally got the Aztec death whistle to Amber. <laughs> and uh, right now, I bought... Like, there are guys making full Transformers. And I purchased one. It was, like, $8.49. Uh, it's MMS Hightail on Cults 3D. He's doing an amazing job. I'm going to be purchasing a lot of his stuff. So that's my big thing. It's printing right now. I got a robot that makes me toys. <laughs> <laughs> I got two robots that make me t- three. Forgot. I I've got, got toys one. that are robots. Yeah. They, they <laughs> <mixed>. <laughs> on that note... We would like to thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy words. They've been very filthy. We're sorry. They Not have been. Really. I need late. <laughs> and Dude, talk to Ariana. She's, she's, she's all up in. I'll call her. Okay. <laughs> we will see you next week. I'm very scared. Bye. 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 My sources this week are Rich Ware on Roman Road, London, the History British Collection, the Victorian Railway Murder YouTube video, Lee Shaw Taylor and Shui Shang Yu, the Cambridge Group for the History of Population and Social Structure, Murderpedia, and the following newspapers from newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia, The Observer, Glasgow Herald, Sheffield, Rotherham and Independent, New York Daily Herald, Rutland Weekly Herald, there are a lot of heralds, The Freeman's Journal, and Liverpool Mercury. My sources are murderpedia.com, wikipedia.org, TrueCrimeLibrary.com, RomanRoadLondon.com, DarkHistories.com podcast, wonderful podcast on Franz Mueller, and the YouTube channel Briefcase. My sources this week are Murderpedia, RomanRoadLondon.com, Wikipedia.org, CapitalPunishmentUK.org, and the New York Times. Daddy wants a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>